to Rooted and Unwithered. I'm Cole Newton, and being Saturday, we'll continue on with our series called Ex Libris Ad Cor, which means from the books to the heart, in which we're discussing books, specifically and reading in general. And so before we get into today's topic, we have a continued guest with us uh, by the name of Eowyn Newton, who has been sharing with us some kids' books. And so, Eowyn, are you here with us again? Yes. All right. And do you have another book for us to discuss? Yes. Okay. What book do you have? I have Katie's book. Oh, okay. And so this is, what? what is this one? What is the, the one that you brought for us particularly? What is, what is it called? Katie and... And the Mona Lisa. Okay, but there's more than one Katie book, right? Okay. Okay, and you have most of them. Yeah. Oh, okay. I only have. I only have to buy three more. Only have to buy three more. Okay. And um, and so, what are these books about? Uh, What does Katie do? So Katie's the. So Katie's a little girl in these books, right? Yeah. And what? And what? What? What most of the time happens to her in the books? She goes into the paintings <gasps> of the gallery. So she goes to the gallery to, to, to look at paintings, right? Yeah. And, and her grandma falls asleep and she gets into <sighs> painting. In every single book, right? Her grandma yeah. falls asleep. And she goes inside the paintings? And so so this one she goes inside which painting? The Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa. Okay. But uh, there is one book where she doesn't go inside paintings, Right. What happens in that book? But the grandma still falls asleep. But the grandma still falls asleep. Yeah, so that... Yeah, so, yeah, she is. But what happens in that book where she doesn't go into the paintings? She she goes on top of a, of, of a stone lion, but the lion comes alive <coughs> and takes them to look at France. Uh, London. London. Yeah, London, England. So, yeah, and she goes and sees some of the the the, the famous architecture of England, right? Um, and so these are yeah, so these are the Katie books by James Mayhew. Um, and so the the whole point of these books is to introduce uh, is to introduce children to famous works of art, right? Um, where where kids get to with Katie kind of almost jump inside the paintings, right, and explore them. And so, uh, is this one of your favorite series of books? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything else you'd like to say, Owen, about Katie Book? No. No. All right. Well, will you come back on uh, next week to tell us about another book? If I'm a belly boy, I can. Okay. Well, thank you, Preciosa. Bye. In the year 2020... John Piper released a book that was, interestingly, very providential for that year called Providence. Um, And so I just finished this book, uh, began reading it in about midway through 2022 and finished it last year um, and every year on my site, bcnewton.co, I Put out a list at the end of every year of the, the 10 favorite books. Um, really, it's always 11. I always do a, an honorable mention of uh, the favorite, my favorite books that I've read that year. And so um, very particularly should note that that's not the favorite books that came out that year. Um, I think that there was only 
one book that came out in 2023 uh, that actually made it to my 2023 list, and that was Okamoka Emanuel by Jonathan Gibson. And so, uh, but I released that list, and Providence, having actually finished it in 2023, made it uh, to the very top of that list as the best book that I read last year. And so I think that it would be a worthy discussion, a worthy recommendation for this episode of Ex Libris at Core. And so John Piper um, is one of my favorite living theologians. Um, so I owe him pretty much all of the credit for my coming to a reformed understanding of theology, uh, to becoming uh, what I would now call a reformed Baptist. And so I grew up in the Assemblies of God churches, and so I was a, uh, a charismatic and especially in in uh, high school and college, leaned a little bit to, into the word of faith movement and uh, always felt a little bit uncomfortable by that, didn't know exactly how to reconcile those things. Um, and Piper's clip, and you can pull it up pretty easily on YouTube or wherever, where in a sermon, he goes on a little mini rant against the prosperity gospel. Uh, it struck me. So he makes the point in that little clip um, of that the, that the prosperity gospel is not glorifying to God, right? Uh, but instead, what is glorifying to God is, is if a tragedy happens, like you get into a car wreck and your little girl flies through the windshield, lands dead in the street, and you say through the deepest possible pain, God is enough, God is good, um, and so you give glory to God in the in the midst of the worst, right? Just like Job did, and so that st- that struck me, and so from that point forward, uh, I started listening to John Piper, uh, started reading some of his books, and so John Piper's the one who exposed me to the works of Puritans, and started uh, because I was started listening to Piper, started uh, listening to guys like Sproul and a little bit MacArthur, never really became much of a MacArthurite, uh, but Sproul and um, and pretty soon got into the Puritans, right? Uh, and so that was really the where, where things took off, right? Um, and so I, I owe Piper a, a great, a great spiritual debt. Um, he's part of the reason that I returned back to C.S. Lewis and uh, C.S. Lewis is um, to this day, probably one of the most influential uh, writers that I, that I, that I love to read. And so, uh, when I got this book, um, so I, I, um, got a copy of it whenever I signed up for the last year of the gospel of together for the gospel in 2022. And they sent out a copy of it to all the people who registered. And so, uh, got it in and, and opened it up and started reading it. And it had been a while since I had read anything by Piper and, uh, and this is a tremendous book. Um, so the first thing that we should note about, Providence about this book that Piper has written is it is big. It is a it is a good sized book. Um, so the actual final page of the book. So not counting, you know the 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 indices in the back and all that stuff is seven hundred and eleven pages. Right, and so now the the typeface you know the, the the font is pretty large there's some good amount of spacings um so if it was you know smaller print less space on the page the the, the book would be a little bit smaller but even still this is it's a it's a good size book and so um one of the things that i would 
give as an advice, as a recommendation is to, I think a lot of people are scared of books like this. Like they see Providence, they see how large of a book this is and immediately just say, there's no way I'm reading that. There's no way I could read that, right? That's far too big of a book for me. Um, but you shouldn't be scared by large books, right? Now, they do require more discipline, right? But, but, but you should still dive into them. Um, the only thing that, one of the ways that is always helpful for me whenever I'm grabbing a big book is to look at it, is to look at it in chunks, right? Um, so most of the chapters in this book, um, if you take 20 minutes, um, could probably pretty easily be, be read in one sitting. Um, so some of them might need to be broken down into, into two, into two different readings, right? Um, but so if you, if you were, if you managed to set aside 20, 25 minutes and read one chapter at a time, right? There are 45 chapters in this book. So plus a conclusion and plus an introduction, right? So that would be 47 readings. So you could, you could theoretically read this in less than two months, right? Um, or maybe two months if you, if you, if you took some days off, right? So, um, and if you broke those readings in, in half and read a half of a chapter at a time, right? Just double that. And so, uh, to me thinking, looking at big books, looking at the table of contents and thinking through, okay, well, so if I read, you know, if I read one chapter, then I can make it through this book in this, that gives me a good time frame and really helps, uh, me to, to see the book, um, in different parts, right? Which is exactly how you're going to read a big book, right? Um, the saying is, holds very true. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? So how do you read a big book? One page at a time, right? Uh, and don't be intimidated by big books, right? There's small books that are meaty and every sentence is is packed and are much more challenging to get through than some books that are really large, right? Um, so it, just, it does take discipline. It takes sticking with it. It takes um, coming back to the book over and over again, but you eat an elephant one bite at a time. And that's how you work your way through a big book is just one page at a time, steady, slow and steady wins the race. Right? So now about this book, I would encourage you if you get Providence and I hope that you do, if you don't have a copy of it, um, this is a great one to have on your shelf. Uh, this is a great resource to have, but I, I, I do hope that you would read through it. Begin with page one, read all the way through the conclusion, uh, because the way that Piper writes, the way he structures this book, um, he, he is that his arguments build on top of one another, right? So after you've read this book, it is a great reference book. And even if you haven't read it yet, uh, there was some parts where, um, when I was preaching through the first 14 chapters, of the book of Exodus, right? Um, there was obviously, of course, that has many references to God's harden to the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, right? And so that's one of the, the great questions that comes up in Romans 9 of who exactly hardened Pharaoh's heart, and right? And it's interesting in Exodus, you have this, you have three different expressions for that. Sometimes Exodus says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Sometimes it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And sometimes it just says, 
and Pharaoh's heart was hardened, right? There's not a particular subject that, that, that is doing the hardening of that, right? And so I had not yet read chapter 29, which is, um, which is titled, Israel Hated, Pharaoh Hardened, God Exalted, Helpless Saved. And so, uh, but I figured that since... Uh, Piper is talking about providence in here. I would, I imagined that he probably was going to address that question of what do we do with God hardening someone's heart, right? And so, and so before I'd even gotten to that chapter, um, I read that chapter in advance uh, to get some help for uh, what exactly to do with the text of um, of of God hardening Pharaoh's heart. And indeed, I found that Piper gives a graph in there of those three different occurrences, of those three different uh, terminologies that happen in the book of Exodus, of all the times where it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, of all the times where it says of, that Pharaoh's heart was just hardened, and all the times where it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And by the graph, uh, it shows that, that the references to God hardening Pharaoh's heart was is more numerous then it then then it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. There's only three references in Exodus in Exodus eight fifteen, Exodus thirty two eight thirty two, Exodus nine thirty four, where it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Right, uh, but there's many more references to God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Right, um, and so. Uh, you know, so I used this book as a resource even before I had read it straight through, um, and so and it it. It certainly is a great book for that, and it's uh, become a great resource book for me now in, in, in turning to see how Piper has addressed um, some really complex questions, but, but read it. Read it straight through. Um, so as if you've ever read a John Piper book before, this isn't a spoiler, but probably a fourth to a third of the book um, is is actually scripture, <laughs> is 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 just quotations of the Bible that Piper is getting, um, and he's and 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 essentially that's how Piper writes, right? He he takes quotations of the Bible and he strings them uh, together and puts his own comments and makes connections to them, right? Because um, because, and this is one of the things that I appreciate about Piper, even when I don't agree with him on every single point of his theology, every single stance that he takes, uh, um, I respect Piper and I keep, and I keep finding his works helpful because, uh, Piper stays close to the text. He wants to, he wants to believe what the Bible says, right? And so he wants to stick to that. And this is also one of the reasons why I find the writings of John Calvin so helpful, right? Is that even if I disagree with a conclusion that Calvin makes about the text, I still have to wrestle with the fact that he made an argument from the text. He made an argument from scripture for why he believes what he believes, right? And that's one of the great helps about reading someone like Piper is that he's going to give lots of scripture he's going to make his argument from scripture and so even if you come to even if you come to a place where you disagree with him you are going to be sharpened um, from having read him because because he's making his point from scripture and so if you disagree with him you'll need to make your point even clearer from scripture right um, and so and so the, the and so the fact that he in this book that he uh, builds on top of his argument. So, um, so he begins in chapter one 
with the question, what is divine providence? And that is kind of the all important <laughs> question, right? Um, and you, and so you may, you may be wondering yourself, why should I even read a book about providence? I don't, you know, I've heard that term used before, but I don't exactly know. And, uh, the first three paragraphs of that chapter are really helpful. He says, the reason so this is quoting from this book. The reason this book is about the providence of God rather than the sovereignty of God is that the term sovereignty does not contain the idea of purposeful action. But the term providence does. Sovereignty focuses on God's right and power to do all that he wills. But in itself, it does not express any design or goal. Of course, God's sovereignty is purposeful. It does have design. It does pursue a goal. But we know this not simply because God is sovereign, but because he is wise and because the Bible portrays him as having purposes in all he does. Isaiah 46.10, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. The focus of this book, and whenever I'm picking up a book, I'm always looking for a sentence like this, like a, the a thesis statement, right? To figure out what is the author going to tell me directly what this book is about. And here it is, the focus of this book. That's a, you know, a hint <laughs> that, that Piper's about to give you the thesis for everything that you're going to read in this massive book. So the focus of this book is on God's sovereignty, considered not simply as powerful, but as purposeful. Historically, the term providence has been used as shorthand for this more specific focus, right? And so that is exactly what providence is, is it is uh, God's sovereignty, is, is God's purposeful sovereignty over all of creation, right? Um, and so um, in this book, Piper addresses uh, just about every topic that you can think of, right? Um, so... So in the first section of the book, um, so after, well, I guess part two of the book, after he, um, part one is he gives a definition and the difficulty of um, providence and, um, and one uh, in, question, in chapter two gives a, a great chapter on, on how can God's purposeful sovereignty be good news to us? How can, how, um, how can that be good news that God is in control of everything? Part two, he walks through the storyline of scripture and kind of considers God's hand of providence um, throughout, throughout the, the, the storyline of the Bible. And then part, and that's a necessary foundation, right? Uh, but part three is, prob is probably why you're picking up the book, why you would want to read the book, because that is, uh, part three is called The Nature and Extent of providence. And that is where he goes through different realms of life, right? So he has, uh, he has nine different sections in this part. So section one is setting the stage, knowing the providence of the God who is section two is God's providence over nature. Section three is his providence over Satan and demons. Section four is his providence over kings and nations. Section five is his providence over life and death. And those were particularly really great chapters, um, chapters of, of, of great comfort. Um, and so make sure that you, when you read this book, at least make sure that you, that you read through to those, to chapters 23, 24, and 25, God's providence over life and death. Section six, God's providence over sin. And, um, that's probably where Piper tackles, uh, the most pressing questions that are raised when it comes to, uh, the providence of God to, is God truly in control of everything, right? How can God harden Pharaoh's heart? 
God's providence in broken families. Uh, That's chapter 30. Then in section 7, God's providence over conversion, over people coming to faith in Christ. Section 8, his providence over Christian living. And then section 9, finally, uh, the final achievement of providence, how God's providence will bring all things uh, to glorify Christ, that all people will bend the knee and confess with their tongues that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the aim of which God's providence is taking all of us, right? Um, And so so I'd highly suggest that you read this book, even if uh, you are, are not of the Reformed theological persuasion. Um, I believe that this book, uh, even if you disagree with with, uh, with almost everything that Piper says in this book, uh, it'll, it'll, there's so much scripture. He relies so much on scripture that, like I said, you'll be sharpened for having read it, for having dealt with it. And, um, and of course, as you may expect, um, in dealing with, with, with the mysteries of how God operates, um, you know, Piper doesn't pretend to solve all of those mysteries. He's simply presenting scripture to us and saying, this is what we believe. And, um, and even though the sovereignty of God over all things can sometimes be a bitter pill to swallow, um, and can leave us, leave us with lots of questions about how God can be sovereign over evil and yet not be the author of evil. Um, ultimately, I think Piper does a, f- a wonderful job of showing how how the ultimate aim of providence, how the ultimate um, consequence, it would be the better word, the ultimate consequence of God's providence is comfort to us, right? So there are mysteries, there are, it is a bitter pill to swallow at times uh, for our own human pride, for our own visions of being autonomous beings. But um, once we swallow that bitter pill, it is sweet medicine for the stomach. Um, it, is, it is a doctrine of tremendous comfort. And so um, I hope that you, that you, if you own this book, I hope that you read it. If you don't own this book, I hope that you grab it. Um, this, is a, this is a book to read through. This is a book to keep on hand um, for references. This is a a book for to read through um, slowly, carefully, prayerfully, considering um, all the scripture um, that Piper presents. Um, and so, um, before I conclude this, like I said, I'd like to conclude the these episodes by reading a portion from uh, that, I, that 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 was particularly impactful to me from uh, the the books that I'm discussing. And so. Uh, the section, the extended quote that I'm going to be reading to conclude our episode here is actually from the conclusion, uh, where at the, the, in the very, in the conclusion of, uh, his book, Piper, he goes through and he goes, he gives 10 effects of seeing and savoring providence. And so, um, in those, that list of 10 things, uh, this is item number four. And it's titled, Seeing and Savoring This Providence Helps Protect Us from the Trivializing Effects of Culture and from Trifling with Divine Things. And, and in reading this, I just highlighted the whole section. And so that's what I'm going to read. So Piper says, One of the curses of our culture 
and it has permeated the church and most Christian communication, is banality, triviality, silliness, superficiality, and an eerie addiction to flippancy and levity. This is accompanied by what to me seems like a baffling allergic, a baffling allergic reaction to seriousness, dignity, and articulate precision in public speech. Carelessness in speech and casualness in demeanor turn up at in times and places where you would expect carefulness, clarity, earnestness, and even gravity. My impression is that at the root of this cultural culture of inarticulate casual trifling is a loss of weight of the heaviness and awe fullness of God. Everything is light and funny because God is a light weight. The boats of our communication bounce around with a chipper bearing on the waves of cultural trifling because the heavy ballast of a big holy God has been offloaded at the docks of a man-centered theology and endless scree time. This is a tragedy, not only because it is the fruit of trivializing God, but because it hinders us from seeing him and experiencing him as he really is in the majesty of his providence. My guess is that some who read these lines will have no categories for viewing what I'm saying any other way than as a summons to somberness and boredom. We live in a culture that can scarcely imagine something like glad gravity or joyful sorrow. Humor has been so identified with silliness and levity of slapstick verbal antics that the robust, reality-rooted, natural explosiveness of humor is, for many, inconceivable. Charles Spurgeon was a very funny man, but he was not a man of levity. He did not trifle with sacred things or think that worship was a place for casual clowning. He was not allergic to seriousness or dignity. Three years after his death, Robertson Nicole expressed my concerns and used Spurgeon as a counterexample, saying this, Evangelism uh, is of the humorous type may attract multitudes, but it lays the soul in ashes and destroys the very germ of religion. Mr. Spurgeon is often thought by those who do not know his sermons to have been a humorous preacher. As a matter of fact, there was no preacher whose tone was more uniformly earnest, reverent, and solemn. Of course, every mature and healthy person knows that unbroken seriousness of a melodramatic or somber kind will inevitably communicate a sickness of soul. But that is not our danger in the first half of the 21st century. My point here is that seeing and savoring the all-embracing, all-pervasive providence of God has has a wonderful effect in helping us recover the gift of authentic earnestness and the beautiful interweaving of gladness and gravity. Thank you so much for listening. For more resources for knowing and loving God's Word, please visit bcnewton.co. And if this was a helpful resource to you, please like, comment, share with someone that you think would also enjoy it. And until next time, grace and peace.